Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. You're sick. I'm just going to greet you right now in Jesus' name from a distance. We've battled it at our house too, so I'm just, I'm ready now. I'm glad it's March. Just psychologically, it's March. It's time for springtime to get here. I'm glad for winter to be gone. I know we'll still get a little bit more cold stuff, but I'm glad. I'm ready. I'm ready to cut my grass. I'm ready to eat tomato sandwiches. I'm ready for it not to get dark at 4.30. Of course, it's getting a little better now already. I'm ready. Amen. Psalm chapter 37, verse 3. If you have your Bibles, you can take a moment and turn there. Psalm 37 and 3. I'm ready for March Madness. Some of y'all don't even know what March Madness is, do you? Basketball. When you're a Virginia fan, you're excited about March Madness, but you're also really, really nervous because of what happened last year. Psalm 37, verse 3. It says, Trust in the Lord. And do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Notice verse 5. It says, commit your way to the Lord. And now let's go over to Proverbs chapter 16. Verse 3. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Amen. I want to welcome you today to the final message in our series called Committed. Uh, Last weekend, I was privileged to be part of the Sam Markovich wedding in Oregon. Uh, But it's good to be home, amen? Oregon is beautiful. Uh, The people were surprisingly friendly, uh, not surprisingly strange. (laughs) There's a lot of strange vibes out there on the Northwest. But uh, I actually, seriously, about the friendliness, I told my wife, I said, some of these folks could teach some Southerners about Southern hospitality. They were really, really nice. It was a good time. It was beautiful. But I'm going to tell you, every time I go away, it, and when I come home, I'm just so thankful I live in Virginia. Man, it's beautiful. We got a great place to call home, don't we? But I'm glad to be back. And, uh, and today's going to be a little bit more teaching than preaching. Uh, to wrap up this series. Psalm 37 and verse 5 said, Commit your way to the Lord. And Psalm 16 and verse 3 said, To commit your works to the Lord. So today's message is the committed way. The committed way. Now, I'd like to begin by telling you about two very different men. The first man was Martin Luther King. He was born on January 15, 1929 at his family home in Atlanta, Georgia. He was born into the home of a Baptist preacher. His grandfather was also a Baptist preacher, and later on he himself would become a Baptist minister. He earned a Bachelor of uh, Divinity degree from a theological seminary in 1951. He earned a doctorate in philosophy from Boston University in 1955. And while he was at seminary, he became acquainted with Gandhi's philosophy of nonviolent social protest. It was on a trip to India in 1959 that he met with the followers of Gandhi, and they had a huge impact on his life. 
Now, during these discussions, he became more and more convinced than ever that nonviolent resistance was the most potent weapon available for an oppressed people in their struggle for freedom. And so for Dr. King, as a black pastor of a Baptist church in Montgomery, Alabama, he decided he was going to implement some of these principles himself. And he led a black bus boycott. And because of this, he and 90 others in that group were arrested and they were indicted under the provisions of a law that would make it illegal to conspire to obstruct the operation of a business. It was uh, quite a stretch needless to say the least, but those were really difficult times. He and several others were found guilty, but they appealed their case. And as the bus boycott dragged on, he began to gain national attention. He then wrote something, and many of you are familiar with it. It's known as the letter from Birmingham Jail. And it inspired a growing civil rights movement. By the way, one of my favorite quotes from that letter and I'm not preaching about it, but I love the quote. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We all need to remember that. Don't ever turn your cheek, don't ever turn your head at injustice with somebody because it doesn't affect you. Because injustice to them is injustice to all of us. And you say amen. When a local bus company finally gave in and they dropped its policy of segregated seating, Dr. King became a national hero. In 1963, he led a massive march on Washington, D.C., where he delivered his now-famous speech, I Have a Dream. And his tactics of uh, active nonviolence put civil rights squarely on the national agenda, and he turned his attention to a nationwide campaign to help the poor at the time of his assassination. He was shot while standing on the balcony of a motel in Memphis, Tennessee, in April 4, 1968. Dr. King was only 39 years old at the time of his death, but he had never wavered in his insistence that nonviolent protest should remain the central tactic of the civil rights movement. He never wavered in his faith that everyone in America would someday attain equal justice. I saw a quote that somebody put on Facebook the other day, and I know I'm going to get it wrong, but I loved it. I didn't put it in my notes. It said, it said, Rosa sat... So Martin could march and Obama could run. Rosa Parks sat when she shouldn't so Martin Luther King could march when he shouldn't to pave the way for Barack Obama to run for president one day. I just want to say don't ever think that what you do is of no consequence because you might just be paving the way for somebody in another generation, amen? Dr. King once said this, a man who won't die for something is not fit to live. That's pretty strong. This was a man who was committed to what he believed in. He was a man whose life personified the committed way. Now, let me tell you also about another man on the total opposite side of the equation. His name was Adolf Hitler. On the evening of April 20, 1889, he was born to the son of a customs official and a little peasant girl. He was a poor student. He never completed high school. And in October of 1907, he saw his dreams of becoming an artist shattered when he failed the entry exam. He soon developed strong anti-Jewish and anti-democratic convictions, and he joined the Army in World War I. He was dedicated. He was courageous, although he wasn't promoted early on because his superiors said that he lacked in leadership qualities. He joined the Nazi party in September of 1919. In April of the next year, he began working full-time for the party. Hitler was soon elected the chairman of the party, and he was given dictatorial powers. He saw his opportunity to gain power, and he jumped on it. He established himself as a dictator The enabling acts allowed Hitler's government to make laws without legislature, and he rendered the legislature powerless. He espoused the idea that Germans had the right to dominate all nations because they were the higher form of human beings. They were the master race. Although Hitler's rise to power and his plans for world rule, they were not fully realized. Thank God the United States intervened. You better thank the Lord, amen? We might all be talking Germany, German today. 
if we wouldn't have got involved. But he left behind him a trail of misery and hate and millions of destroyed lives. I've read some of his writings and how he used Christianity and Jesus' suffering at the hands of the Jews to justify what he did. Isn't it amazing how people can twist scriptures to make it say what they want it to say? But this man also had a purpose in life. And by the time it was all said and done, more than 6 million Jews had lost their lives because of the committed level of Adolf Hitler's life. All as as a result of a man who was fiercely committed to what he believed. Two men committed to their purpose. One to do away with hate and bigotry and discrimination. The other to promote hate and bigotry and discrimination. Two men pursuing their purpose in life. Matter of fact, both men still widely remembered today. Both men revered by people at opposite ends of society today. Hitler is still kind of a hero for the skinheads and the neo-Nazis and and the uh, ultra-racist people that are out there that still want to uh, kill Jews and Christians and, and blacks. He's still revered by these people. Dr. King is still revered by all of us who appreciate uh, racial equality and appreciate what he did in the 60s to pave the way for civil rights even in our own land. Two men, two total opposite uh, perspectives, but two men who changed their world because of their commitment to their cause. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Both men still loved by people today but both men loved for different reasons. They changed the lives of others around them. Now, what difference do you think that you and I could make if we truly committed our lives, the Scripture said, our ways or our works to the Lord? What difference could we make if we all took our level of commitment to marriage or to family, or to God, or to ministry, to the next level where it really deserves to be, or where it really ought to be. A mission society is reported to have written to missionary David Livingston. He was a missionary to Africa from a London missions group. And they wrote, and I quote, they asked him, they said, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to send other men to join you. Livingston wrote back, If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. Don't just send me the ones who want a good road. Don't just send me the ones who want an easy path. Send me the ones who want to come even if there's no road at all. That is commitment. See, folks, we cannot expect for things to come to pass in our lives or to happen without any effort on our part. World changers are not the ones looking for a good road, not the ones looking for an easy trail, not the ones who are looking for the path of least resistance. Can I just tell you right now, if you're looking for the perfect church, you may want to keep going. This isn't the one. Wrong place. We're not the perfect church. If you're looking for the perfect marriage, I'm sorry, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. You're going to have to work to make it a great marriage or a good marriage. You might even have to work real hard, if I'm being honest, to make it an average marriage. But guess what? There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. If you're looking for the perfect job, you won't have a perfect job ever. If you work for yourself, then you already know you've got a flawed boss. See, there is no such thing as a perfect job. There's no such thing as a perfect neighborhood. It does not work that way. But you want to know what makes life work, what makes jobs work, what makes marriages work, what makes homes work, and what makes a church work? It's one word. It's called commitment. Commitment. In life, if you want big rewards, you got to pay the price. And when you commit your way to God, hear me, all kinds of great things can happen. So let me share with you just a few points. Thank you for that gratuitous applause. <laughs> Y'all trying to prop a brother up, amen. If I hear somebody shout, help him, Jesus, then I'm going to know I'm in trouble, amen. 
But let me share a few points with you on committing your way to the Lord in this final message. First of all, the committed way does not depend on your abilities. It does not depend on your abilities. If you read the biographies of the great men and women used by God, you're going to find that they were not necessarily smarter or faster or stronger or more educated. You know what they were? They were just more dedicated, and they were more committed to the cause of God's kingdom. Committed people see things around them differently, and that difference is what makes them stand out above the crowd. Committed people are loyal. They have their priorities in order. Committed people are dreamers. They base their future on something sometimes that they can't even see. They are people of faith. They are often controversial because they're working towards something that they believe in with all their hearts and their minds. They're not bound by what other people think or what other people say. Amen? It's not just about your abilities. Amen? People who are committed, they're not necessarily afraid of disapproval or disagreement along the way. See, commitment has more to do with faith and heart than it has with abilities and gifts. You ought to write that down. Commitment has more to do with faith and heart than it does your abilities and your gifts. Because hear me, committed people can learn skills. If you got the heart, somebody can teach you what to do. Amen? But see, you can't teach desire. I taught about discovering your passion on Friday night. I wish more of you would have been here Friday night. But passion is a fire that must be lit internally. Amen? Nobody can make you have passion. you got to have it on the inside yourself. So hear me, don't let a perceived skill, uh, lack of skill or lack of abilities hold you back. And can I just also say, quit making that your excuse. I'm not as gifted as Kevin, so I'm not even going to try what Kevin does. Oh, that's a flimsy excuse. You should quit comparing yourself to Kevin. Quit comparing yourself to Rodney or Davina or Joel. Well, Joel plays the keyboard so good, why should I ever even try? No, 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 no. You need to take and, and apply your heart and don't just rely on your abilities or your gifts. Commitment. The committed way goes further than that. Here's another point I want to make. The committed way is a result of choices and not conditions. Choices, not conditions. Hear me. People do not make great commitments because their conditions are great. They make great commitments because they choose to do what is right in spite of their conditions. Can I say that again in case you missed it? People do not make great commitments because their conditions are great. They make great commitments because they choose to do what is right in spite of their conditions. See, we live in a society that likes to blame our conditions on our skin color, on our upbringing, on our socioeconomic status. But it's not what happens to me, but what happens in me that counts. Amen? My former pastor, Jeff Dillon, always used to say this, and I'll never forget it. It made an indelible impact on me. He said, we are free up to the point of choosing, and then the choice controls the chooser. Our choices matter. Commitment brings out a special toughness that conditions cannot quench. Amen? Committed people don't quit. They, they persevere. It brings out a special endurance. Commitment does. And hear me, if you're committed to the cause of Christ, you know that you are going to make it. As a believer, can I just tell you, don't wake up and your only desire to be, I'm going to have to figure out somehow to just make it through this day. That is not how God wants us to live. We are the children of God, amen? We are called, we are overcomers. We are victorious. God is looking for a group of people who are willing to commit themselves to his cause, to his kingdom, and to having a fulfilling relationship with him. Your commitment to God will carry you through the tough times. Bertrand Russell once said this. He said, nothing is so exhausting as indecision and nothing is so futile. It's so true. Commitment will carry you through the difficult places in life because you recognize it's about my choices and not my conditions. 
See, it's time for those of us who've wavered or vacillated to come on over to the blessings of the committed life. I want you to look at James chapter 1, verse 6 from the New Living Translation. Notice what it says. It says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with, look, divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. You ought to circle that in your Bible, divided loyalty. Hear me, divided loyalty. That is the opposite of commitment. Actually, what it is, it's diversified commitment, which means you're not really committed to any one thing, but you're divided. That's the essence of inconsistency, divided loyalty. It's when you go back and forth. The Bible says like a wave of the sea being tossed by the wind. Hear me, divided loyalty is what destroys marriages. Divided loyalty is what sabotages dreams. Divided loyalty is what can split a church. Divided loyalty causes people to miss God's plan and to miss his purpose for their lives. I believe that God is calling for committed Christians to stop wavering on issues in your life that you know God has been talking to you about. Can I put out, thank you. Can I throw out some meat and potatoes as your pastor right now? Amen. If I am your pastor, tell me, let me, you, some of us, we have lived for God long enough. It is time to get off the fence of divided loyalty. What am I talking about? I'm talking about in your personal life, your personal godliness, your personal holiness, your honesty, tithing. Faithfulness to the house of God, faithfulness to your spouse, faithfulness to his kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. Some of us, we're just back and forth, back and forth, struggling. And you know what the Bible says? It's like being a wave of the sea. Every time the wind blows, it goes this way. Every time it goes, it goes this way. That's divided loyalty. That's the opposite of commitment. Don't let divided loyalty hold you hostage. See, any of those types of commitments, they need to be done without divided loyalty. Listen to Paul's words in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. He said, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. He said, in fact, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He said, you still need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, anyone that lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But verse 14, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Don't, don't miss that part, by constant use. By constant use. You, you, you've learned to train yourself to discern between what is good and evil. we got to not be living on milk when we should be living on solid food. Now, I've never seen anybody get mad at a three-month-old baby for still nursing or drinking the bottle. Have you? And if you ever see anybody do that, just smack them upside the head and say, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and there comes a point in every baby's life, every baby is different. It might be eight months, nine months, a year, year and a half, two, I don't know. There's no magic number. But there comes a point where a baby has to move off the milk and they got to move on to the regular food. Or guess what happens? Their growth is stunted. They're not moving forward. They're not advancing like they should be. And as children of God, you know what? Every so often a glass of milk is nice, isn't it? Sometimes I just like to pour me an ice cold glass of milk and get me a big old stack of cookies. I won't even say how many. Sometimes you know I'm really beyond this, but I'm still going to sit down and have me some cold milk and some warm cookies. That's all right, but guess what? You can't do that every day of your life. There comes a time in our walk with God, our commitment's got to take us further than that. So here's the thing, just ask yourself. It's real simple. Am I still a baby Christian? If you are, man, drink up. H2O, all, uh, milk all the way, baby. Drink, drink, drink. Drink until you're ready for the broccoli and the, and the beans. But if you're a mature Christian, there comes a time you say, you know what? It's time for me to get a hold on this issue and not be content with divided loyalty. Can the church say amen? Here's another point about the committed way. The committed way starts with the little things. Melissa Pope in the back, she always likes to say it's the little things. I hear her say that all the time. That's kind of her thing, her mantra. It's the little things that make a difference. 
Look at Matthew 25, 21. Jesus felt the same way. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you the ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Nobody has ever made a big commitment without making first a bunch of little commitments. Living for God is a lot like learning to walk. This is kind of taking us back. How do you move from milk to steak? By just making little commitments along the way, little steps along the way. You gain new confidence with each step. How do you learn to read the Bible? You just pick up the Bible and start reading. We started the year with the bread chart, with the New Testament chart. Uh, get you a reading. If you have trouble reading the Bible, get you a reading plan. Oh, I don't want to be held hostage to a reading plan. I just want to go wherever the Lord leads me. Yeah, yeah, how's that working out? Might be working out good for some of you, but for some of us, we just don't want the discipline. Come on, can I just keep it plain? We don't want to have to go back and look at how many days we actually missed. See, you got to do whatever you got to do to build up those disciplines in your life. Reading the Word of God, it starts with the little things. Praying. Don't just say, okay, starting this week, I'm going to get up at 530. I'm going to pray for one whole hour. No, you're not. Not if you're not already praying. Why don't you set a more realistic goal and say, I'm going to get up at 615 and make a cup of coffee, and I'm going to sit in my chair for 15 minutes and talk to the Lord. And then once I've done that for a while, then maybe I'll pray 20 minutes or maybe I'll pray 30 minutes or maybe I'll get up a little bit earlier. Is this all right? Come on, I'm talking about the committed way. It starts with the little things. See, when the Lord sees, though, that he can trust you with little, what did he say? He's at liberty to trust you with much. You can master the big things in your life by learning to get control of the little things in your life. How do you need an elephant? One bite at a time. You need to get the little things under control before you can move on to the big things. Run a mile before you sign up for the marathon. I just ran my first 5K. That's awesome. Did you really run? That's okay. If you got out there and walked, that's good. That's how you start, amen? Don't sign up for the Boston Marathon if you haven't even walked, I mean, ran a 5K yet. You got to take those little steps. Take control over the small foxes in your life. I've spent the last several weeks describing what the committed life looks like. I want to close this series, but I just want to share with you a few rewards of the committed way. I want to share with you a few of the rewards. The committed way produces emotional and spiritual stability. Amen. That's one of the blessings of living a committed life. Look at Psalm 112, verse 7 and 8. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desires upon his enemies. I could preach a whole lot about fear right here in those verses, but did you know one remedy to fear and stress and worry in your life? It's found right here in this verse. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. It will take care of so much anxiety and stress and worry and grief and fear and depression and anxiety in our lives, fixing our hearts in a position of faith and trust in the Lord. Living a committed life produces Emotional and spiritual stability. Spiritual and moral commitments give us a basis from which to control and determine the direction of our emotions. I believe that. <coughs> you don't always have to be at the mercy of external pulls and pressures. Once you've got a committed internal commitment to God, our heart is fixed. How does commitment change our emotional and our spiritual lives? You know, the constant uh, roller coaster life is over. You can begin to count on certain things, certain predictable things, God being predictable, the most predictable, the most dependable. You can find it possible to hold steady and remain firm in situations that used to shake you to your very core. See, we don't find every crisis of life an occasion to question God or God, have you abandoned us? if we're living that committed life and you're going back and you're kind of researching and remembering all the times God brought you through. See, we're able to know our position in God. It's a settled transaction. 
Can I, I just want to stop right here and say, if you're a committed child of God, that is a settled transaction in your life. Don't come in here doubting today if Jesus loves you. Don't come in here doubting today if he loves you enough to take care of you. That issue is settled. That issue is settled. Commitment enables us to stop going to extremes and settle into a balance. I'd much rather just live right here than to live way up here and way down here. Commitment will bring you to that place. We don't have to spend as much time on the super high mountain peaks and then down in those depressing valleys. Our heart is fixed. Our trust and our desires upon the Lord. You might say, well, pastor, well, that does not really describe my emotional or my spiritual state right now. Well, let me just ask you, are you walking in the spirit? Are you leaning on the flesh? See, commitment fixes us upon the center, and it grants us an inner sureness that we have more and more emotional margins to work with in our lives. Stability, peace, assuredness, calm in the face of the storm. All of these are benefits of a committed life. The next blessing I want to share with you, and it's kind of a first cousin of this first one, is the committed way helps to develop mental toughness. The committed way helps you develop mental toughness in your life. One of the greatest rewards of total commitment is that it helps you to develop the mental toughness that you and I need to withstand the pressures that build up in every area of life. See, when you're walking in commitment, it's amazing how you learn to take problems and turn them into opportunities. Opportunities to improve your life no matter what it is you're dealing with. And it's amazing how you learn to rise to the occasion and find solutions to problems when you've committed no matter what. I'm going to live for the Lord. See, people are successful and do what it takes. They've got that little bit more commitment. What makes the difference between being average at what you do or being good or maybe even being great? I believe it's that little bit more principle. You gain the mental toughness that separates you from others. When others quit, you say, nope, I'm going to do just a little bit more. Sometimes that means doing just a little bit more than what you're required. And when you're totally committed to what you're doing, you've got that extra plus that it takes to keep going. And when you get tired and when you want to stop, You've got that toughness that will help you stay strong. See, when other people quit, when other people fall apart, you keep going because your commitment has taught you that you will prevail if you stay strong mentally. Amen. Here's another reward. The committed way is the first step to greatness. It's the first step to greatness. Ask any world-class athlete. Ask any valedictorian. Ask any Pulitzer Prize winner. Ask any master electrician or master carpenter or successful businesswoman. In every person's life, there are many important moments. But when you make that all-important step of commitment to Jesus Christ, you change from someone who's just living to someone who's living now with a purpose. You can't even become all you can be until you make a total commitment to something. See, a lot of people have difficulty making a commitment to anything. They spend their whole lives just going from one thing to another, looking for a, a, a quick uh, and an easy way to success, or they just settle for something less than the dream that God has put it in them. Many people make a half-hearted commitment to something, and they tell themselves they're making a total commitment, but really they're just taking the easier way out because it's too hard to be fully committed or it's going to cost too much. See, then they see something better somewhere else, and then the grass looks greener. It's a new business, a new job, a new situation. They might commit for a little while to something, then they get tired of that too, and they're off again to something else. Now, now I don't believe, by the way, let me just be clear, I don't believe that you only have one chance to do something great in your life. I don't believe that. I believe God gives us multiple opportunities. But I also don't think we have an unlimited number of chances either. I think we've got to understand that, that God is there with us and he wants to help us. Sometimes in your life, you've just got to stop running. You've got to stop running. You've got to say, this is it. This time I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight until I win. And see, when you finally make that type of total commitment, nothing in your life will be the same. Maybe for the first time, you'll have some real direction in your life. Maybe for the first time you have a purpose for getting up in the morning and working hard every day. 
When you see everything that you do as one more step toward reaching the goals that you committed to, all of a sudden, nothing seems too big. Nothing seems too small. Commitment's that first step to greatness. Its reward is greatness. Great marriage, great job, great soul winner, great church, great ministry. Commitment is that step. Let me give you another blessing. I'm I'm almost done. The committed way builds our faith. A committed life is what builds your faith. A story I once read recounted a night uh, that a house caught fire and there was a young boy and he had to go up to the roof to, to escape the fire and the father stood on the ground below with his outstretched arms and he was yelling to his son, jump, I'll catch you, jump, I'll catch you. And the, he knew that the boy had to jump in order to save his life, but the boy couldn't see his dad. He could hear his voice, but he couldn't see him because of all the smoke and the flames. As you can imagine, he was scared to jump off the roof. His father kept yelling, jump, I'm going to catch you, I'm going to catch you. But the boy said, Dad, I cannot see you. I'm scared to jump. Finally, the dad said, but I can see you, and that's all that matters. The father said, but I can see you. That's all that matters. You know, commitment is what gives you the faith in God that will allow you to jump even when you can't see the father. He can see you. He's there. See, I don't know about you, but when I'm truly walking hand in hand with God, I recognize nothing's going to stop me. It may set me back, but it's not going to stop me. I feel like I'm on top of the world. I can see in my life as my commitment to God grows, my faith can grow right along with it. This is what builds your faith. Now, if I could just be honest, I didn't have this kind of faith when I was 25 years old. I didn't have this kind of faith when I was 29 years old and I became the pastor of this church. Life experience had not really given me the opportunity to develop this kind of faith. So for all you that are younger than 35, you're just going to have to trust me on this. If you'll make those commitments every day of your life, one day you're going to get to where I am at 52 years old and you're going to look back and you're going to realize my committed life the day-by-day decisions that I've made have given me the confidence to know God will see me through. Amen. And I'm also going to tell you, the way he taught me that was not always fun stuff. There were times God let the carpet just get ripped out, completely out from under me. Because I had to learn not to trust in myself and in my own strength and in my own flesh and in my own ideas. There were times when God stripped everything away to where I had to say, God, it's up to you now. I remember one time at one of the lowest points in my life, and it was about 12 years ago, I was really going through a tough place in my ministry and personally, and the church was going through a difficult place. And I remember, I mean, everything just seemed like it was going wrong. And I picked up a magazine, and I was reading an article, and there was an ad there for something. And this wasn't even the focus of the ad, but there was a billboard behind the person in the article. And on the billboard, it said, scarcity brings clarity. And it was just a picture of somebody that the article was about, and behind them was this billboard. And the article didn't speak to me, but the photograph did. And God told me right when I saw that picture, God said, I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to clarify some things to you. And if I have to strip away everything that makes you comfortable, I want you to understand that I've got this and I've got you. I'm I'm talking to somebody right now. I'm talking to somebody in this room right now because this isn't even in my notes. Right now, you think God has stripped everything away from your life because he's mad at you. No, he's not. He's trying to bring clarity in your life. He's trying to show you who you need to rely on, who you need to lean on, who you need to trust. And if you will, he will bring it to pass. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Now, can I just add a line to this? This is not the Bible. I'm going to add to this. And it is impossible to have faith without having gone through incredible disbelief. 
It's impossible to please God without faith. I'm going to add it's also impossible to get that faith unless you go through some dark places where God teaches you faith and you learn it. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those that sincerely, and in the King James says, diligently seeks him. Another reward of your committed way, I want the praise team, you musicians, to come on up. I'm running out of time. The committed way gives us hope. (laughs) It's a great reward of commitment. It gives you hope. You might be saying, how can hope be a reward? Well, if we have no hope in our lives, you have no prospect of things getting better, how would that make you feel? Amen? Hopeless? You'd feel terrible. You'd be miserable. However, when hope comes into the picture, you've got something to live for. You've got something to look forward to. Psalm 31 and 24 says this, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, and all you that hope in the Lord. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You see, that's what our lives in Christ are all about. That's why God called us to be obedient and to live lives totally sold out for him. That hope that we have is eternal life. That hope that we have is the chance to spend eternity with a God who cares about us so much that even the hairs on our head are numbered. God that cares about us so much that he would offer us a way out of our sins. God that cares about us so much that he rewards our obedience with the gift of eternal life greatest benefit of our commitment is eternity with God. The last blessing that I want to share with you today about living a committed life is a committed life fills us with love. Why don't you stand with me right now? It fills us with love. When we give up our lives to God and we're totally sold out for Him, something wonderful happens. We become filled with an unexplainable love. Why would it be that once we decide to follow God and and put Him first in our lives, we would be filled with that kind of love? You want to know why? Because God is love. 1 John 2, 5 through 6, But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did, must walk as Jesus did. Love. Look at Matthew 22, 37 through 39. It says this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, here it is. Most the two most important things you're ever going to remember. Jesus said it. These are the greatest commandments. Love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And I love that he said a second is equally important. He didn't say it's just below that. He said this is just as important. While you're loving me, love everybody else. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, how the love of God was baptizing this church afresh and how the love of God was going to help us to reach our communities. The committed life produces love in your life. Husbands, your commitment to God will give you the reward of knowing how to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Parents, the committed life will teach you how to love and love your children the way God wants us to love our children. My commitment to God allows me to enjoy a love that does not reject me when I fail. It allows me to experience a love that does not push me away when I'm difficult. A love that does not condemn me when I sin. That's the love of God and what a reward it is. Psalm 37 verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. So as I begin this altar call, I just want to ask you today, what ways... Do you need to begin committing to the Lord or maybe recommitting to the Lord today? We're making this personal now. 
What area of your life has God been speaking to you about? And today, maybe you want to begin those building blocks of commitment or maybe recommitment. See, commitment's not just something you can always quickly see. Sometimes you don't even recognize it in your own life. You just begin building it one block at a time. One block at a time. You got to look inside for it, but it's there if you're really ready to make that decision. So this morning, I'm going to open this altar, and I pray that you can see that we are truly blessed if we walk the walk of commitment with the Lord. We've spent two months talking about this. That God has rewarded us beyond our wildest imagination if we just commit our ways to Him. So I want to ask you, have you accepted the reward that God is wanting and waiting to give you? Have you experienced the hope that comes from knowing a God that cares about your life so much that He knows you by name? Have you seen the unending and unfailing love that comes only by serving God? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, right now, as we begin to open this altar, I pray, Lord, that we would not shy away from this moment. But God, the very thing you've been talking to us about, that we would be willing to step out and say, Lord, I'm going to make that step of commitment. I'm tired of divided loyalty. I'm tired of wavering like a wave on the sea, being tossed with every wind that comes along. God, I really am, God, I'm just, I don't want to be the person that's up and down and up and down and in and out, God. I want to begin a brand new walk of commitment. So you can open your eyes, and I'm just going to ask you right now, if you'll step out from where you are and walk down to this altar. Prayer team, would you come and gather? We're going to begin to pray right now. Just step out. Don't be afraid. This is your opportunity to respond. God, I want to commit this area of my life. I want to commit this area of my life to you. In Jesus' name. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. Come on, step out from where you are. Step out from where you are.